Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Catherine. Catherine is a second time podcast guest, so I'm definitely going to link up her episode. She talks about her cancer journey, which I think is like super important. Um, We've talked about cancer multiple times on the podcast, but I don't think you can talk about it enough, right? Everybody, like everybody's journey is different. So in 2000, Catherine Marie gave birth to premature twins. And then in 2015, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. She says that cancer does not define her, but it has shaped her. These events served as a springboard for her to help others through their own challenges. And Catherine is now a speaker, a holistic health coach, and author of her newly published book, Fearless Action. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Thank you, Megan. You are just the highlight of my day. Oh, yay. And I truly love listening to your podcast. Aww. And thank you. By the way, one, one episode I was listening to, you mentioned some ages of some teachers, and 40 is young. No, just it is that out there. 40 is young. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned that because, like, I'm going to be 36 this year. And in comparison to most of the people in my classes, I'm really old. actually fun facts last night in one of my classes we were presenting these articles and one of the girls that were presenting (laughs) goes people in middle age they're about 36 years old and I almost died my professor his face just went white because he's about the same age as me and he goes what did you just say and she goes oh yeah middle-aged people he's like did you just call like 38 years old, middle age. And she was like, yeah. And he goes, I guess I'm going to have to fail you now. (laughs) I love that comeback. (laughs) I was just like, I almost died. Everybody looked at him and I, because they know we're like close in age. And I was just like, I feel really old right now (laughs) because I'm a good 10 years plus older than most of the people in my class. So I do feel old at times. Uh, but I wanted to again, mention, um, to everybody who's listening, uh, that I had thyroid surgery two weeks ago. So my voice may sound hoarse or scratchy. And I apologize if you want to know what happened, I'm not going to repeat it again. Cause it's quite the story, but, uh, last week's podcast. So the podcast that aired a week before this one, I went into details. So we do not need to go into details again, but Catherine, I want you to update us. You've had some really exciting things happen since you were on last time. Yes. Yes. So I was in the episode in, what was it? October of 2020. Yeah. No, was it 2020? Oh, 2021. Oh, I was going to say, man, has it gone by that fast? (laughs) No, I'm just very confused. Me too. Uh, there's, there's that chemo brain kicking in. So, um, so yes, what's happened is since October and it's now, what is it? May, uh, I wrote a book. Yeah. And exciting. Yeah. I sent my kids off to school and I wrote a book and it is, 
uh, fearless action strategies and stories to help you manage your fears and pursue your goals. And it just published a month ago. And it was a very exhausting and vulnerable process because I do incorporate stories about my breast cancer. I incorporate stories about a little bit about my children. And I, uh, it's really about facing fears and perseverance. And it's a, so the core of the book is, is about taking action, facing fears and, and learning to take action. And, uh, but ultimately about perseverance too. It's my, my favorite kind of books are the ones that give you like steps to take action, but also incorporate like personal stories. I really do not like the books where you're just like, they're just like, well, you can do this or you can do this, but there's, there's no like personality in it. I'm like, right. where did you get, like, how do you know, where did you get this information from? Like, were you taught it in like some sort of like coaching class? Is this where it's coming from? Or have you been taught that, but also utilized it in your life? And this is how, and this is the stories. Those are my favorite. Um, right. so I, I love it. I haven't, you sent me the book. I have not had the chance to read it because after finals, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm in grad school. And when we're recording this, it is the week before finals. I am not recording any podcast episodes next week because I have lots of things to do, including like a couple papers. <laughs> so yeah, I haven't had the chance, but hopefully this summer, um, I will have time to peruse it, uh, but also I am taking a summer class because I'm a button for punishment. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Yeah, and and I know you've mentioned this on your podcast before. I wholeheartedly agree that it's in telling stories about ourselves that other people can pick up bits of information that they can draw from or learn from or apply to their own lives. And I truly believe that too. Mm. So it's important for me to share my stories, mm -hmm. even if it's hard, even if it's scary, even if it's vulnerable. And once I started doing that, I, I got people coming back to me saying, thank you. I get mm -hmm. it. This, this makes sense now for me in my life. And, and that's why it's, it's just so important that we share with each other. 100%, 100%. Uh, I was, I'm part of a bipolar Facebook group. I I'm sure you're aware that I have bipolar disorder. You mm -hmm. listen to the podcast. I talk yes. about it all the time because I believe it's important to reduce stigma. And we were talking, uh, somebody on there is like, don't tell anybody about your disorder. You don't want to deal with that, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I couldn't scroll past, right. I needed to say something. And I was like, listen, it's important that we share to get support, but also reduce the stigma now. And one woman, I was like, you know, not everybody's supportive and, you know, we need to be careful who we share with. I'm like, I wasn't saying you need to share with everybody. Me, I choose to be very open and vulnerable about my struggles. Cause I feel like that can help other people. Like you were, were saying now everybody's not comfortable with that. Some people it's like, they are, are very protective of their space and, and with good reason, right? I feel like I have a very established support system. So if I get negative feedback, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll share this on the podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but you know, 
sharing my personal story, like you said, it's very important. And so I can completely understand where you're coming from. It's uncomfortable at times, right? I know people are going to say really nasty things about my disorder. I know people are going to misunderstand it. I see the comments and posts all the time, but if I can just shift some perspectives, if my mm-hmm. story can just help some people, it's worth it to me. And I'm sure you feel similarly. Right. I feel the same way about so many things, whether I'm talking about um, disabilities mm-hmm. uh, or whether I'm talking about cancer. And I have to say, Megan, I have learned so much from you about bipolar because it is something that I'm not very familiar with. And so I appreciate you sharing because it, it helps me. Should I come across another person who shares that they have bipolar, I have a little bit more depth and understanding and compassion and in my communication with you, cause you're adorable. And I want to keep communicating <laughs> with you. <laughs> you can come on all the time, Catherine. I, I, I think, I think the most somebody's come on is like three or four times. I was okay, like, there's no have goal. <laughs> yeah. As long as we have like more different things that you want to share and they're not like, you know, repeating the same story over and over again, which right. is important. Right. But like, you know, if they listen to the first one, it might get a little repetitive. Uh, but yeah, I sure. Like you got something else that you're like, <laughs> Hey, I want to come on new goal. <laughs> new goal. I have people at school that were like, I'd love to be on your podcast. I'm like, well, tell me what you want to share and you can come on the podcast. Like, you know, it's people I know and I'm familiar with, and I know that they respect my process. You don't even have to apply. I mean, because we already have a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is like that, that initial relationship that I'm like more like protective of, because I'm like, I want to know you understand. And I want to know that you're going to respect my process. But after that, I'm like, yeah, whatever you want to come on, tell me what you want to talk about. (laughs) Uh, So today we're going to change it up a little bit. We are going to talk about premature children. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I too had premature children. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were born in 2010, premature twins too. So it's like even Mm -hmm. more ironic. Yeah. Share with me a little bit about your pregnancy journey and, you know, what brought you to that point, which might be completely different to what brought me to that point too. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, in 1998, I, I did have a pregnancy that unfortunately ended in a loss Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was struggling to become pregnant and I was, on some medication to help me ovulate. And at the same time, that first pregnancy was one baby. (laughs) And then I became pregnant in 2000. And when I went for my checkup at, there's usually a checkup at 19, 20 weeks. Yeah. And I went for that ultrasound. And I remember very clearly still laying there and the nurse says, Hmm. And this is somebody I had known for a long time, (laughs) nurse practitioner. And she's like, Hmm. And she's like, do you see what I see? (laughs) (laughs) And as the appointment progressed, I realized that she was saying I had twins and I laid there saying, oh my God, oh my God. And she finally said to me, breathe. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, what was going through my mind, which I don't know why this, I think because um, I felt like it was important to me to breastfeed. All mm-hmm. I could think is how do you breastfeed two babies? It that's is hard. For, it is for some hard. reason, that's all I could think. <laughs> and, and so that was about 19 weeks pregnancy. And uh, then I'm trying to think now, shoot, um, of the exact timing. I think it was shortly after. Um, I mean, you're going to see, I wasn't prepared to discuss this, but I know, I know it's okay. It was, I just yeah, threw it no, at you. It, I was like, you want yeah, to discuss this? No, I think it was around 22 weeks or something like that. Um, it, it was shortly after that. I went for uh, another checkup. And basically, uh, there was a, an ultrasound and the, the doctor or the technologist, they discovered a problem, uh, with my cervix and they said I needed to go see a specialist. And so I went to see a specialist actually like literally got home from that appointment and there was a message on my machine saying, be here the next day, you know, like no right. ifs, ands, and buts, this is when you're coming kind of thing. And I went to see this specialist and uh, they said that that's when they basically said there was a problem with my cervix. And the doctor looked at me and she said, do you want them? Oh, my. And, and I said, Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, here's the deal. You need to have surgery and you're going to be out of work now for the rest of your pregnancy. So call your employer and let them know. And I still wasn't kind of grasping everything. And I said, so I should make an appointment and have surgery next week. What are you talking about? Because I think this was like a Thursday or Friday. And she's like, no, you don't understand. (laughs) She said, you can stand up and put on your pants and lay back down. You're going by ambulance to the hospital today. You're having surgery today. By the way, when is the last time you ate? And you'll be in the hospital for a while. And then we'll go from there. So that was actually, I guess that was like 22, 23 weeks, somewhere in there. Right. Not quite viability yet. Right. And so uh, the surgery that I had, it was called a rescue surplage. So what happens is, is I had personally had apparently a birth defect where my cervix did not fully develop and therefore I could not hold the weight of a baby. And I had two of them. Right. (laughs) And so what they, what a surclash is, is they stitch the cervix closed essentially. Oh my. And so, uh, but mine was called a rescue surclash because it was emergency surgery. Like literally I had surgery that day. And then I was in the hospital for a week. And then I was sent home for, um, and I was sent home with a monitoring system. Mm-hmm. And now keep in mind, this was in 2000. This was a long time ago. Who knows how yeah. technology has advanced by now. It but, has advanced so much since I had my twins in, in 2010. Like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, oh, and at, by the way, right as I'm learning that I needed to have surgery and I had at least complications, I learned I ha- was having a boy and a girl. So that was exciting. I had a boy and girl too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, yay, I'm having a boy and a girl and, Ooh, I got to have surgery and they're at risk. And, 
you know, and even the doctor was saying at that time, she's like, there will be complications. Mm -hmm. They will be premature. There will be complications. We're going to do what everything we can. So I had had the surgery. I went home and I had uh, a monitor where I was monitoring contractions. And at one point I uh, basically was having too many contractions and they, Mm -hmm. and every time I would monitor at certain intervals, I had to call a number and the, the contractions were downloaded and all of this stuff. And somebody would give me advice. So at one point they said, you need to go to the hospital. So I went to the nearest hospital and that was around. So yeah, now I'm mixing up all my dates because that was so long ago. It's okay. (laughs) That was around 22 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was around 22 weeks, I think. And because they still were not viable. So, uh, but, so I went to the nearest hospital, they gave me meds and they put me in bed. And, and even when I was at home for a short time, I was in bed, I was just allowed to get up and shower. So they, they put me in bed, they drugged me up to try to stop contractions, et cetera. And once I hit 23 weeks, then they transferred me to our children's hospital. I'm in Minnesota. I got to go to Minneapolis children's, which is amazing. And, uh, I wasn't actually at children's at the time I was, there's a a hospital that neighbors it and they actually have a tunnel underneath the streets that connect hospitals. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing, um, how they have it set up because I was in the one hospital, but then, um, and I was on in, in bed on bed rest for a couple of weeks they had a bed that <laughs> tipped me on my head to a certain degree. So I had to lay in bed and every day the doctor would come in and tell me if I could get up or not. <laughs> so using a bedpan in bed um, many days. <laughs> and yeah, then it was at 25 weeks when that girl of mine just did not want to wait any longer. And <laughs> she just, was right there working her way out. And so I had my twins at 25 weeks and, uh, they, uh, so my daughter was born at one pound, one ounce. Oh my. And yeah. And my son was one thirteen. and yeah, a pretty traumatic birth in that. Um, of course. So when I went into labor, because I was in one hospital connected by tunnel to the children's hospital. So they, the children's hospital team, which included respiratory therapists and Mm -hmm. nurses and, you know, all these, the team, I think there was like at least three people per child on a team. That's what mine had. Yeah. So they, they brought everything to the one hospital and then um, rushed them off to the ICU at children's. And, uh, So my daughter came out really quickly. It's funny though, because I was in labor and it was around 1130 and, you know, getting ready to have my babies and I was dilated to nine. And then I'm like, I said to the doctor, am I going to have two birthdays? Because it was like 1130 PM, you know, mine were really late at night too. I thought two birthdays. And she says, well, maybe. But then the thing stalled out until after midnight and then they were both born <laughs> on the same day. Um, my son's birth was a little traumatic in that he was breech and he, mm. uh, they called him 
an explosive delivery because the doctor didn't catch him. Oh my God. <laughs> he just kind of landed in the drape. And um, so, yeah, it started out crazy. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so then fast forward, my son was in the hospital for four and a half months mm. and my daughter for nine and a half months. Oh my gosh. And so she was much more medically complex. Mm-hmm. I did see both of my children blue. I've seen both of them with receiving heart compressions and bagging and all of that mm-hmm. respiratory resuscitation. And it was a really, really long haul. Uh, I mentioned the breastfeeding. I never got to breastfeed. Yeah. They were too tiny, but I pumped. I filled up a freezer. <laughs> I had to pump in the beginning too, because they were too yeah. small. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, my daughter especially had m- much more medically complex issues. Um, obviously just being a one pound baby almost 22 yeah. years ago and things like uh, she, it, there were many calls in the night saying, get here now. Yeah. And she uh, received a trachostomy. So they were born in July of 2000 and in December of 2000, she, it gets to a point where you cannot, like, you can't breathe and eat. Like if you think about it, when you have a cold, it takes a lot of work to eat. And so she was struggling so hard to breathe. She couldn't eat. And so their solution was to give her a feeding tube. So, um, but is that she actually got in February of um, 2001? Yeah. But prior to that, they did, uh, they gave her a trachostomy. So for those that don't know, a trachostomy is where they put a breathing tube in the neck. And so that was in December of 2000. And honestly, I believe it saved her life. It was an incredible doctor. Um, ENT that had been watching her hovering over her, you know, for a period of time, because they were saying she wasn't stable enough to even have surgery. Mm-hmm. And then it was a week before Christmas, December of 2000, when they said, she's just stable enough. We think we can have surgery. And he came in and on a Sunday, they assembled a team and, uh, got her trait. And from there she started improving. Oh, good. Yeah. And so she was discharged in May of 2001 and, uh, did come home with her trachostomy on a ventilator. We had 24 hour nursing care for a period of time. So she very medically complex and fortunately was able to have the trachostomy removed. Uh, she was almost two years old. Oh, wow. So she had it for a year and a half about, and, uh, she has complications as a result. She has paralyzed vocal cords, you know, I mean, no blame to the healthcare, um, the caregivers, they did everything they could to save her life. Yeah. You know, there were so many times when she was intubated or they were putting breathing tubes in or her trachostomy and surgeries and all of this stuff that things can happen. 
And so she has some paralyzed vocal cords. She has, she struggles with her volume and raspiness and she is, uh, now she, <laughs> this little, uh, she's got multiple, both of my children have multiple, multiple diagnoses. Yeah. And one of hers is short stature. So she's this little itty bitty four feet, seven inch, <laughs> amazing young person who has a quiet voice and she still has her feeding tube. However, the one thing that was amazing for us during the pandemic is that we could really focus on, and it was timing too of like her interest, but we focused really hard on her eating. And it was just like the perfect combination of factors in terms of our time and her interest and her abilities. And she is now eating one meal a day. So that an ENT who traked her way back when he had at one point said to me, she would never eat because of knowing her medical history and all of her complications and knowing that when kids are on feeding tubes for an extended period, they get to a point where sensory wise and, and oral motor wise, they can't chew food or, or, or you know, it's like for babies, it's instinctual. Yeah. And um, he felt that at one point we kind of like crossed over that, that time frame when it would work. And now she's eating a meal a day. That's and amazing. Plus a little bit before and after the other two meals or before she'll, she'll eat some, for example, yogurt for breakfast and then have her formula chaser. So, uh, yeah, she's amazing. And, um, like I said, both children have multiple diagnoses. So there's autism, intellectual disability, um, cerebral palsy, um, of course the feeding tube and, and short stature and paralyzed vocal cords and lots of different things. Yeah. And they are the kindest, sweetest, most compassionate people you would ever meet. And I know I'm biased, but I hear that from <laughs> other people as well. <laughs> We're all a little biased about our kids, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> what an oh, amazingly wild story. When my twins were in the NICU, there was a baby there born at one pound too. Um, Cause they had, they were a three tier NICU. So the mm-hmm. inner tier were like the babies that needed the most care. And then the second tier were babies that needed a little less care. And then the third tier were babies that could be in a crib, but they weren't ready to leave the NICU yet. Right. They didn't need like the yeah. isolate or like the, the ventilator or anything like that. Um, the incubator, um, they were able to be outside of those things, but not quite to the point where they could leave you know, like you're talking right. about feeding tubes, stuff like that. They had them and they weren't ready to go home with those things yet. So, um, it was amazing. I too had a wonderful team. I, uh, gave birth at Portsmouth Naval hospital. And I know I have a lot of military people who listen and that was, they were amazing. I cannot stress this enough. Uh, amazing. Uh, my spouse fought for me to be able to see the babies before 
I had a C-section before I went to my room because they weren't, I had complications. They weren't going to let me see them for like 24 hours. And he's like, you cannot do this to her. She has two other children who she walked out of the hospital with. And you're going to tell her she can't see these babies for 24 hours. They wheeled my entire bed into the NICU so I could see the babies um, because I was so drugged up when they put them next to my head and I couldn't really turn and look at them. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they wheeled me in my bed into the NICU so I could see them. They were at the in, they were in the inner, the inner tier at that time. Um, mm-hmm. they weren't quite as premature as your twins. They were only five and a half weeks premature. Um, so not, not really much for complications, but what happened is I was high risk because I had two previous C-sections. Um, and then they're doing the little sonogram and I'd seen a sonogram, right? Like, and I see one baby and I see two babies and I just look at my spouse who has never seen a sonogram before. <laughs> and I'm like, and then she goes, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Hall, you're having twins. And I thought he was going to pass out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> pass right out. Uh, but then I developed uh, preeclampsia. Uh, I guess at the point it got to eclampsia. I don't know the difference. I don't care. Uh, they monitor me for 24 hours and they're like, we're, we're taking these babies now. Like you don't have a choice. There was no, like, they weren't going to give me an option of like, Oh, you get to do bed. Re-. No, it was so bad that they were like, we got to mm-hmm. save them now. And I had two previous C-sections. So I had to have a C-section there was, and they were so pre they were so premature that they weren't, wouldn't have given me the option having two C-sections anyways, to have a V-back. Uh, and yeah, they, they, uh, were five and a half weeks premature spent, spent some time in the inner tier, then moved to the second tier. They never went to the third tier. They kept having what's called Brady's where their oxygen level would drop like just suddenly. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what caused them to spend so much time in there. Um, but I also have a pint sized daughter. Uh, she was born at five pounds, six ounces. And her brother, what, wait, no, she was four. What am I doing? She's four pounds, five ounces. He was five. He was, um, she was four pounds, five ounces. He was five pounds, four ounces. They weren't quite a whole pound difference. Um, that's why I'm trying to keep it in my head. Yeah. Uh, so she's had more issues being smaller than he has with her growth. Like she's at one point in time, she wasn't keeping with the growth uh, you know, curve. So they, mm-hmm. her growth curve, I mean, not compared to like babies who were, uh, bigger full term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Full term babies. Good. That's a good, I was like, I'm not going to say normal. Cause that doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, full term babies, but she stopped at one point in time and her growth was stunted and they had to do all of these like tasks to make sure like she just was delayed with her growth. And it wasn't like there was an issue and she was just de- delayed, like six months later, she hit that growth spurt and she was back on the, the curve. But so I have a pint size one, two, she's tiny, but super sassy. <laughs> oh my two. Oh my gosh. And I'm like mini me. I have to keep that into perspective. Cause I'm like, man, when I get that look from her, yeah, I just have to remind myself, oh my gosh, you're so like me. <laughs> I think they try to make up for their small stature with like oh a big gosh. attitude. <laughs> Well, and, and truth be told, she doesn't have a lot of genetic advantage. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like, there's just not height in the family. Yeah, no, not but, ours either. I mean, uh, down the road, but I mean, in general, like the, 
immediate family. No, we're like not, I mean, we're not super short, but we're also not tall people at all. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's funny because you mentioned like seeing your babies. And so after I gave birth and my nurse was monitoring me, I'm like, I want to see my babies. I want to see my babies. Cause they were like taken right away. Yeah, like they were just like, hospital. Yeah. And so I'm like, I want to see my babies. I kept saying. And so finally she put me in a wheelchair. She wheeled me through the tunnel and up to the NICU. And because of just like all, everything I'd just been through, apparently I was tired or who knows, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the isolates were high. I couldn't see in them. So I tried to stand up to oh. see in the isolate. And that was a mistake. Cause I, I, I nearly passed out, which I, I, yeah. <laughs> I try to like give the little side note that it wasn't cause I saw my children and <laughs> passed out. It was because I had been through trauma yeah. and I stood up after all of that exertion of giving birth, <laughs> my body was not ready for me to Plus I had been on bed rest for weeks and yeah, you know, you lose muscle fast. <laughs> yeah, you do. I, uh, yeah, I tried to stand up every time I had a C-section, I tried to stand up and it's stupid. Cause they tell you like, don't try to stand up on your own. I'm like, I got this every time <laughs> I'm like flopping back in the bed. I'm like, Oh, just kidding. I don't have this. <laughs> Can you please help me go pee? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. It's like this helpless feeling, not being able to do things on your own. Right. Is Mm -hmm. that you can't just get up and go to the bathroom. I experienced that with my thyroid too. Cause I was a fall risk. Cause they had me all doped up on stuff. And I was just like, it's, I just want to pee on my own. Like, I mean, they weren't in the bathroom (laughs) with me. I mean, with the C-sections they were because like, they want to make sure like nothing is coming undone. But I'm like, so helpless, like not being able to pee on your own. Right. Right. I know. I, yeah. Bed rest, man. (laughs) Those were horrible days. I, I, um, I really, when I was on bed rest, I really missed getting my hair washed or being in the shower and washing my hair. And I was so drugged up between like, cause they had tried to stop the labor. They had me on bed rest and then they, um, realize then I had started having major contractions and they realized they couldn't stop it. And so they gave me other drugs and I was like, so loopy. And so by the time I got to the OR and I was having my babies, the doctor made a comment because she had to like remove those stitches that they had previously put in. And she's like, I'm going to clean you up. And (laughs) in my drug induced state, apparently I said to the doctor, can you wash my hair too? (laughs) Because that was on my mind that I really hadn't had my hair washed in a long time. And I really wanted my hair washed. Yeah. And someone was offering to help clean me up. So yeah, I asked the doctor to wash my hair (laughs) while I was in labor. Um, Didn't happen. Apparently she just laughed at me. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, you, the amount of drugs. I mean, when I came out of surgery, all the times I've had, I've had now had four surgeries. Oh, and I, I said some wicked stuff too, especially after the thyroid, because like I woke up in so much pain and I was crying that they just like, were like, Ivy, let's shoot her up. Cause I don't know what they gave me. 
<laughs> and then I was like, the doctors came to check on me and the anesthesiologist. And I was just like, so out of it. <laughs> I, was, I, I think one of them, I was like, what the fuck did you do to me? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. So I can, I can relate to the being very doped up and saying wild things. In my case, I'd be like, concerned that I'd be flirting with the doctors <laughs> because like there's one doctor I've had a couple surgeries with that is so good looking and you know <laughs> you can't help it and and if your defenses are down you know why not, why not show your appreciation and, and then you can be like it was just the meds I promise <laughs> yeah right <laughs> thank goodness I don't remember yeah, no, I know. I can, yeah, I understand that. Uh, wow. What a story. Like it, it, we were talking before it started, like about surgeries and things going wrong and, it, you know, giving it, giving like perspective. And that gives me perspective about, you know, premature, I was part of a mothers and multiples group. So I, I've heard stories yeah, before that were like, really traumatic and you really babies that were born really early and, you know, having like developmental or physical, like physical delays and things like that. So, but I've never heard anybody's stories like laid out like that. And it gives me Mm -hmm. perspective. Like, I'm just like, okay, so mine were premature too, but like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You have 22 year olds my 10 year olds are going to be okay. <laughs> right. And, and we didn't even get into like the whole disability stuff or special needs education. There's so many. See, like, that's it. You are giving ways giving more, go. uh, yeah. yeah, more that you can come on and discuss at another time. Right. Because <laughs> yeah, there's so much. And, and I'm just like really proud of the fact that they are healthy and they're happy yes. and they're, they're, so where they're at now, after um, they, they went to public schools and after high school, at least here in Minnesota, we have what's called Transition Plus. So it's part of the school district, but it's an additional programming that teaches people with disabilities job and life skills. Yeah. So it's it's like an extension of high school. So they're finishing their we were just talking this morning about how next month they're graduating from oh, Transition Plus. And, uh, so after that, they're going to have actually this summer off and then they're starting a new program, which is kind of more of an advanced transition plus. So they're going to continue to learn more, explore job opportunities because through their transition plus program, they get to explore, uh, job skills through, um, some, some job sites that they go to are paid, um, and some are volunteer, but they, it, they're in a position where they get to explore different opportunities and interests, which I think is really cool. And when I hear parents of typical kids talk, I wish this was something, a model that was available to all kids, because really they get to go out and try all these different mm-hmm. places and volunteer and do tasks and learn about what their interests are. Right. Yeah. So the next program for them is, is more of an advanced version of that, where they're still going to explore job and life skills, um, but continue some educational things and social skills. And, and so I'm excited for them and I'm excited for this next phase. 
That is very exciting. I love that they have programs like that. Like Mm -hmm. that can be so helpful so that they can have some independence um, and be able to do things um, on their own because I I can't imagine how it feels to feel like I got to depend on other people and not have something of their own that they can go and do and, you know, have a purpose. (laughs) Right. You know, Well, and, and yeah, and cause like one of the upcoming classes that I think they'll take has to do with cooking and, and yes, as a parent, of course, I'm teaching them things, right. But as a parent of twins with special needs, there's always something to do. And then of mm-hmm. course you throw in aging parents that you also end up doing some caregiving for as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's that whole concept of it takes a village and, yep. and with people with disabilities, the education can take longer to, to get to that point of independence, but we're continually working on it. And like I said, I'm just so excited that they're, that they're happy and they're healthy and they're learning. Yeah. I'm that's, that's amazing. And I love, I love what you said is like, it may take a little more time, but they'll get there. They'll be able Mm -hmm. to do the things um, and they call what you're experiencing the sandwich generation where you have aging parents and children sure. at the same time. Um, I take a psych women's psych class that's I'm getting ready to finish up and we talk about the sandwich generation, how much stress that is. Um, oh. So I can't whole other thing we could talk about, right? So many things. Right. <laughs> See, now you have your goals. <laughs> <laughs> I have my topics to throw at you. You have your topics to throw at me. So Catherine, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I have something really big for you. And so I feel like what we're talking about is this long-term care of other people, as much as we love it, it takes perseverance. Mm -hmm. And I think the key to perseverance is acceptance of the word and. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that on a given day, any normal day, we have varying degrees of highs and lows. Sometimes when we're going through a difficult time, we can either we either can't see that there can be joy or we don't allow it in. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you have something that's really exciting to celebrate, like a book publishing, for example, yes. <laughs> you know, and then something challenging steps in, it can kind of deflate your joy. What I'm finding is that perseverance happens in the acceptance that conflicting emotions can exist together. Mm -hmm. So briefly, I'm just going to give you a visual. Say that you go to a state park for a hike and the sky is blue and the trees are green and you're walking on this paved path. As you walk deeper into the park, the path might turn to gravel and you might have to step over fallen trees. So the navigation is more difficult. But as you look up, you still see that blue sky and the green lush trees. Nature really shows us that challenges, and it might be pain or grief or fear or just life challenges, and the joy and the beauty can and do exist at the same time. Yes. I think our society is too obsessed with this either or 
um, like mindset. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. it's not either, or we can do both. We can feel both. We can experience both. And I think we really need to like, stop with that, that black and white thinking and really live more in the gray where like multiple things can be true at the same time. We don't have to choose. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's going to help and understanding that I really truly believe that helps us persevere through those difficult times is understanding that, yes, this is really exciting. You know, it's exciting to, to uh, do your, your master's program, right? It's master's, it's not master's. doctorate. Oh, master's. oh it's, it's goal is PhD, <laughs> right? Not there yet. I, I confuse that for a minute, but it's it's okay. really exciting to do that, and it can be really challenging, right? Mm-hmm. So, I it, but but understanding and and holding on to that excitement is is what I'm guessing helps you persevere through those challenging times. Yes, including the times where I'm like. I can't do this anymore. This is too much. But then like I get to where I am, where I'm all caught up. Oh, not all caught up. I'm still working on schoolwork every single day, but I'm not like playing catch up from like my surgery anymore. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. All right. We're here. We got this. Yep. It's exciting. This, this Friday after when we're talking is an honors night. And so I'm going to be going and being inducted into uh, international psychology honors um, organization. And so like all these exciting things where I'm like, okay, I can do this. Look at what I'm doing. Yeah, me. Um, but then it's still very difficult. Like, you know, so right. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Catherine, thank congratulations. You, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Megan. And seriously, this is the highlight of my day. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.